Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Today's message, I think, is part of our spiritual, well, I know it's part of our messy spirituality series, and I still think this is really absolutely critical as a foundation point to us as followers of Jesus. I want to give a little credit. In in preparation for this message, I listened to a message by Pastor Chris Hodges, and I borrowed portions of his structure for today, and I want to give him credit. So um, back in the 13th century, Emperor Frederick of Germany wanted to know what language children would speak if they were never spoken to. So he chose several newborns, instructed the nurses to feed them, but never speak around them and never cuddle them, never touch them as much as little as possible. The result of the experiment was this. Every single child died before they were old enough to even speak. Nearly six centuries later, in uh, 1915, a doctor studying infant mortality in the American orphanages noted that uh, infant mortality was at 90% among American orphans. A World War I German doctor, Fritz Talbot, studied after World War I the same thing in German orphanages. And one day he was watching an elderly German woman carry around uh, babies on her hip, and he commented to somebody nearby, and they just said to him, well, that's just old Anna. When we've done everything we can medically for a baby and the baby's still not doing well, we turn it over to old Anna, and she is always successful. Dr. Talbot continued his research and published his findings, and they went worldwide. And he said, here's the lesson. Orphanage workers need to touch, hold, carry, and mother every baby in the orphanage several times a day. And as that message spread throughout America, the infant mortality rate in orphanages dropped from 90% all the way down to 10%. The lesson is that we as humans, we need touch. We thrive when we are touched regularly. That's why in the NICU, nurses are taught to therapeutically touch babies. That's why among even the elderly, even just the touch of a pet results in a healthier, longer life, according to studies. A study was even done in successful basketball teams, and it showed that successful basketball teams actually communicate affirmation through touch to one another far more than unsuccessful teams. You see them constantly putting arms around each other, even when things are not going well, encouraging each other, high-fiving each other, chest-bumping each other, patting each other on the back, communicating through touch their belief in each other. See, we know as well that we know love through touch, through the direct experience of another person. And the reality is we all need the touch of God as well. We need the direct experience of God in our lives. And the way that God directly touches us, we experience that, is through His Holy Spirit. The problem is many followers of Jesus in in the American church are just like the Ephesian church at its very inception. We see in chapter 19 in Acts, several decades after Jesus, the historical record notes this. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. 
See, there are a lot of Christians who are like this. They believe in Jesus, study the Bible, are fo- seek to follow Jesus. They're going to go to heaven, but nothing, they have no knowledge of the power of the Holy Spirit and direct experience of their own lives. Some of that is because the Holy Spirit, I think, has been given a bad rap uh, for various reasons. For some of you, you, heard, you grew up here and people uh, you know, kind of shout, Holy Ghost! And you don't want to follow a ghost and you don't want to believe in ghosts. And that was just weird to you. For others of you, you know, the Holy Spirit's gotten a bad rap because of maybe some TV preachers, some, some other preachers you, you've heard. You think that to follow the Holy Spirit, you have to talk funny, act funny, and be overpowering in your demeanor and wear lots of makeup. I've actually seen that makeup in person. The eyelashes were as long as porcupine quills. No, I kid you not. I saw a preacher knock a guy's glasses off one, trying to pray for him and, and, and expecting the Holy Spirit to knock him down. I, I was grabbed one time by someone around the neck, demonstratively praying for me to experience the Holy Spirit, which meant for them that I must fall down on my back on the ground, bending me over backwards and shaking me so much that I felt like I won the limbo contest that day. And I kept thinking, dude, I actually love the Holy Spirit and I love the power of the Holy Spirit, but you're weird. Maybe that's not your experience. Maybe your experience is different. and Maybe your experience with the Holy Spirit was uh, maybe women having to wear long dresses, the very plain dresses, and no makeup at all. For others of you, you may have grown up in churches that actually warned you about this Holy Spirit stuff, telling you to stay away from it because it was all a cult. Just follow Jesus, know your Bible, and live a good moral Christian life. And yet, as we've seen the past few weeks, knowing and following the Holy Spirit is central to what Jesus taught, Paul taught, the entire New Testament teaches that it means to follow Jesus. You can't honestly read Scripture and escape that fact. There are so many perceptions about the Holy Spirit that are simply not true. Today I want to suggest to you that if you've rejected the Holy Spirit as a central theme in your Christianity, if you're one of those who says, what Holy Spirit? I've never heard of that. Or, or even if you were a follower of Jesus, but you lack confidence in knowing the Holy Spirit and how he works in your life and how he communicates to you, that rather than stay away from the messiness of the mystery of it all, that you see instead the mystery as an invitation to be curious and seek and press in, to move past the hang-ups you may have, and instead to simply pray consistently, God, I want everything you have for me. I want to know the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works and communicates as full as you want me to know that for me. And I also want to invite you to allow a distinctive that we at Quest and the Vineyard hold dear to guide how you express your spirit-empowered Christianity. See, this distinctive is encapsulated in this phrase, and it's this phrase, naturally supernatural, meaning we avoid all hype and emotional manipulation. We go about our lives naturally. We talk naturally. We relate in natural conversational ways, even as we pray for miracles, healing, and listen to God's voice and share what we believe God is saying to us. That doesn't mean that we'll never do anything and never see anything that is out of our comfort zone or maybe we might even call it weird. You don't have to look very far at the Spirit's activities as recorded in Scripture to know that sometimes when God shows up, it's just different and it may seem weird. When Jesus was arrested, the Spirit of God caused all of the guards to fall on their back under the power of the Spirit. 
leprosy we see in the Bible disappearing right before people's eyes. That's kind of weird to see. Hollywood could probably do a good job with that. Jesus prayed and cursed a fig tree, and it died within 24 hours. That's a great object lesson, right? People fall on their faces before the presence of God, trembling in the Bible. But what's naturally supernatural does mean is that you and I do not hype anything. We do not take on behaviors and actions and talk in weird ways or use weird, unnatural language. We act as normal, real, honest, non-manipulative people, and we expect the Holy Spirit to show up and be experienced and be real. So let's quickly summarize uh, who the Holy Spirit is. And as we do, we're going to run into the main scriptural metaphor that I think is really, really valuable for us to glean some insight into how the Holy Spirit wants to work and why we can know him and experience him. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a thing. It's not the mysterious Star Wars force or the New Age force. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, variously referred to as the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Jesus, or the Holy Spirit. Now we laugh that some translations refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost, but the problem for translators is that the Hebrew and Greek words for spirit are these experience picture-laden words, ruach in the Old Testament, pneuma in the New Testament. Both of these words, if fully translated, actually would include these ideas of, of wind, of, of a current of air, of the breath of God, of a violent exhaling or blast of breath or a strong breeze. So in Genesis 1, we see this. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The breath of God at creation hovering over all creation. There is this sense that the breath of God is what breathes form and order and power and life itself into everything that exists. John 6, Jesus says it this way, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are full of the spirit and life. And there is the sense that Jesus is using Hebrew parallelism there where spirit and life are essentially saying the same thing in two different ways. Jesus' words are full of the breath of life, full of the spirit of God. It is this breath or wind metaphor that I think is so helpful for us to understand and know the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at that. First, the Holy Spirit, like the wind, is unseen. Now, just because something's unseen doesn't mean it isn't real and that you can't observe it and confidently know it. We know that the unseen wind is real. Why? Because we feel it when we step into it, and we see the movement of the grass and the trees being affected by the wind. So also, the Holy Spirit, though unseen, can be known, experienced, and felt by us. Now, many people's primary objection to the Holy Spirit is that we don't want to be driven by our feelings and by our experiences and our faith. We want to be driven and guided by Scripture, and and there is truth in that. 
But God has given the scripture as an anchor to our faith. And many, many of the abuses of of people claiming to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit are because they let their feelings dominate their actions, their beliefs, and what they're doing there, even sometimes their interpretation of scripture. But scripture rightly understood and prevents us from allowing our experiences and feelings to take us to an unhealthy and weird place. But even though unseen, God is still experienced. And those experiences with God often come with feelings laced to them. And those feelings actually can be valuable and are intended by God to be valuable anchor points to our faith. The dreams God gave me while we were in Oregon that led us eventually to quest were laced with emotion. And that emotion is real, and it is a valuable anchor point in my faith even today. Recently, there was a lady named Dina who came from a Christian background that did not believe that the Holy Spirit was around today. It was cultish to believe in that. She was diagnosed with uh, an incurable disease, uh, and uh, she allowed herself to be prayed for. And in her instance, she was healed. Uh, Sharon, who heads our prayer ministry in the School of Kingdom Ministry training, met her 15 months after the healing took place at a prayer training. And I can remember a time around 1994 when I was being prayed for by a guy named Cheon. Wendy uh, was there in support praying, kind of laying her hand on my back while they were praying for me. And God spoke a prophetic word through Che about the destiny of our lives and our future. And as Che spoke it, there was this tremendously strong sense of God's presence and power. It was a kind of this combination of liquid love and electricity, almost like a lightning bolt. It went through me and it touched Wendy in such a powerful physical way that she had never before that time ever experienced or even anticipated was possible. And that experience today is still an anchor point for our faith today. Think about it this way. We will always struggle to have real relationship and, and, and real relationships of love with people without direct experience and along with that, some feelings, right? I mean, what would it be like for me to go to Wendy, my wife, and say, I love you with all my heart, but you and I, we're never going to touch each other and we're never going to have any feelings for one another. What kind of love is that? That's not the kind of love you and I want, Right? About 15 years ago, there was a church planner I knew in Eugene, Oregon, where we were living at the time, and his church was starting off well, growing well. They were successfully reaching people who uh, were not followers of Jesus, hadn't been in church, many of them before. Many of them were actually struggling uh, with severe addictions, trying to overcome those addictions. He preached a message one day on a Sunday morning, and, and, and he walked out. He said, it's okay message. Actually, actually, not one of my best. In fact, it wasn't even that great. It was just kind of okay. So after the service, he walks out into the lobby, and from across the room, this young 20-something girl, tatted from head to toe, dressed in the epitome of Northwest counterculture dress, to give you kind of an image, and uh, who was brand new to church that day and clearly unchurched, hollers across the room, Pastor Ken, that was one effing blankety-blank good message. You read my effing blankety-blank junk so well today, God spoke directly to this effing bee through you. Blank, and she just went on like that across the crowd. And while some of you would have been, might be offended by that kind of language, I, I was so excited when I heard that story. Why? 
Because here's a young, young woman who God so loves so much, who is so far from church, she didn't even understand how most church culture thought about language like that, who was just being authentic to who she was at that time in her life about an experience and an encounter with the Holy Spirit. This gal came back. She had never been in church before, but for a few funerals and weddings throughout her life. Eventually, she became a follower of Jesus. And it wasn't because of the outstanding oratory or music or how slick the church did things. And God knows it certainly wasn't because of the institutional church being up in anti-institutional Northwest America here, you know. She came back because she experienced the Holy Spirit in a direct and personal way. You see, Jesus talks about this very real experience of the Holy Spirit when he says in John 14, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. He's talking about the Holy Spirit there to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The word advocate is this fantastically rich word in the Greek. It's, it's also translated counselor, comforter, as well as advocate. It's, it's this picture of someone so close to you, working on your behalf, believing the best in you, helping you through life at every juncture. The world neither sees the Holy Spirit or knows Him, but you do, Jesus says. See, you are intended to experience the Holy Spirit and know that you are experiencing the Holy Spirit. Just like we feel and experience love, Romans 5 says it this way, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, God has every intention of you experiencing and knowing the love of God, knowing the feelings of the love of God and the touch of the love of God. Though He's unseen, you can know the Holy Spirit's love just like you know a mother's love or a spouse's love. Second, the Holy Spirit, like the wind, is unpredictable. John 3 says it this way, The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it come from, comes from or where it's going. Even today's weatherman can't figure that out half the time. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, we like things orderly, right? And, and because God is so big and made everything and knows everything, we expect God to be orderly and predictable. And in many ways, He is. But God also loves to mess up our expectation of orderly and not do things exactly the same way all the time. Why? Why? Because if he were to do things exactly the same way all the time, he would feed into one of humanity's universal weaknesses that results in sin, pride, and self-reliance. Namely, we as humans love to make formulas out of how we see God move. And when we do, we become no longer relationally focused or relationally dependent on the Holy Spirit. Uh, think of it this way. Let's say you, uh, you are a boss and you have an employee you really like and they show up one day in your office and they bring you your favorite drink and your favorite donut. 
It happens to be the day you're making a decision that that employee will really like, and he doesn't know you're going to say yes to it, and it's something that you really want to do for that person and for the company, so you thank them for the drink and the donut, and you tell them the good news, and they're really excited. And then what happens is from then on, every time a decision is being made that might affect this employee, they show up with a drink and a donut. And it becomes evident that they think their action is going to butter you up and buy your decision. Now, how's that going to make you feel about that relationship? Are you going to trust them and like them more? Or are you going to distrust them and feel like they're trying to manipulate you and use you for their own personal benefit and they really don't care about you? Why would we think relationship with God is any different? When we try to make getting the Holy Spirit to act on our behalf into a formula. See, if you look at church history, many of the various denominations actually started because their founders experienced God in a certain way and they created a movement out of that experience and argued with people who didn't have the same experience as they did. God wants real relationship where we are humbly submitted to loving Him and following Him See, many of the abuses of the Holy Spirit come out of people who are no longer truly following or relating to God, but often inadvertently, they're just simply trying to force God's supernatural hand into doing and teaching others to follow formulas, and thereby, they've actually become self-reliant rather than God-reliant. But the wind, the Spirit... The very life of God flows where he wishes. And to be faithful followers of Jesus, it means we just have to put out our arms and hang our little sails from our arms and just live, just trying to catch the breeze, going with the wind, wherever it's blowing. Just think about it. I mean, one time God spoke through a burning bush. Another time he spoke through a donkey. Other times he spoke through visions or meditative trances or dreams or, or dice or, or dew that was resting on the ground around sponges and how it was resting around those sponges. Many times God healed people through laying hands on people. And Jesus did this so much that people began to make it into a formula. And we actually see that in Mark 8. Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida, it says, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. The demand wasn't focused on healing, although they wanted that. It was focused on the magical touch. So what does Jesus do? Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, the end result of the story is that he was healed. But just think about that for a moment. Jesus, just touch him. We know your touch will heal him. Just do the magical touch. What did you just do, Jesus? You spit on the guy? They thought the hands were the key. It was a great way for Jesus to break the formula. I mean, heal the man by doing something so disgusting that no one else would ever want to make that into a formula. Spit in the guy's face. What a great way. See, God's not going to move in power by his Holy Spirit because we get all the formulas right and we figure out all the right things to think, say, or believe. No, he's going to move in power. When we are truly eager to pursue Him as a person, the Holy Spirit, to seek after the Holy Spirit, and to do it in a way that we stay curious and stay submitted to whatever He wants to do, however He wants to do it, whenever He wants to do it. 
See, what matters is our trust, our dependence, and our openness to know and do whatever the Holy Spirit asks you, asks us to do. Because only then are we actually honoring the presence and the person of God enough so that His glory will be seen even more through us. Third, the Holy Spirit is like wind in that He is also powerful. In my 20s, I served as a youth pastor at church, and about two years or so before I came there, they had actually had a tornado hit the building during a Sunday morning service. No one was seriously hurt, although everyone did watch the entire roof depart from the church while they were in it, and they walked out in the parking lot afterwards to find all their cars stacked on top of one another. Wind, it can be the sheer powerful destructive force, can it? It can also be the power to power a city. It can be the power to move a ship through raging seas. I think too often we relegate our faith and our life to things that we have the power to fix ourselves. And that is a sad place to live. Because the reality of our lives is that there are a lot of things in our lives that we don't have the power to control, much less fix in our lives. Acts 1.8 records Jesus' parting words to the disciples and says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power to do and know and be things that you could never be on your own. Power to see miracles happen. Power to open doors that can't be opened so that you can realize a dream that's too big for you. Power to close doors behind you that can't be shut and leave things behind in the past that you want to leave behind and you want to be free of, but you don't have the ability to be free of them on your own. And the power of God Himself, the same Spirit that created this world, and that power is also for a purpose. The text goes on and says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, you could read that whole verse together and you could think, well, that's kind of utilitarian, God. So God, you just want to bless me and do those things to use me so that I can, but you don't really care about me. You're just doing it because you want me to do this. Now, now think of it this way. As a parent, you love to give good gifts to your kid, right? And one of the things you love actually most, even beyond that, because you know it's so healthy and good, is when your kids turn and what you gave them, they give to someone else. You teach your kids to be kind by the way you act towards them, and nothing brings you greater joy than to see them share that same kind of kindness with somebody else, does it? You teach your kids, you give, you give generously to your kids and you love to give them and you know it's not healthy or good for them to just become self-centered receivers of everything. You love it and it brings you great joy when they turn around because you've been so generous to them, they are generous to other people. Why? Because it's healthy, because it's good, because it brings joy to them and to you as a parent. See, while God loves to give you gifts just because He loves you, there is also this sense that He heals you so that you can be a healer. God's Spirit gives you wisdom so you can share that wisdom with other people. He saves you so you can cooperate with the power of His Spirit to save other people. He brings good to you so that you can bring good to others as well because it's healthy, because it's good, and it brings joy to both you and to God. 
We've talked in the past about Charles Finney. Uh, he was president of Oberlin College in the mid-1800s when it was still a beacon of Christianity and a leading force at that time in empowering women and education and defeating racism and slavery. Finney was originally studying to be a lawyer. One day he encountered the Holy Spirit and it radically changed his life. Finney uh, was actually became one of the most prominent leaders of what's referred to as the Second Great Awakening. It was a Christian revival that swept millions of Americans in the early 18th, uh, 19th century, 1800s, uh, back into living as followers of Jesus and into the church. And here's what Finney said of that day that changed his life. He said, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love, for it could not be, I could not express it any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. Why? Because it was the very breath, life, and power of God, the Holy Spirit he was experiencing. As Finney went on to preach and pray with many people over the coming years, people all over the U.S. encountered the Holy Spirit in real, often sensory ways, often through physical healings and other times in different physical manifestation ways as they encountered the power of the Holy Spirit. Under Finney, the Holy Spirit not only saved people, not only touched them and saved them from hell or healed them or, or made them think, that, but it significantly also fueled the abolitionist movement, increasing the number of schools where blacks and whites were educated together and women were educated. The Holy Spirit empowered social change and transformation as well. And actually God furthered that movement uh, to rid America and the world of racism through outpouring of the Holy Spirit once again in 1906. The decade before 1906 actually saw the most lynchings of black at the highest level in all of history. The KKK had become so strong it was a terribly evil time. So once again, the Holy Spirit power was given to further battle the forces of racism and beyond what we could do on our own. So in 1906, God started what became one of the biggest, fastest spreading movements of God in all of human history worldwide. It still continues today under the leadership of who? An impoverished, poor William Seymour, a black man. Raised in extreme poverty, born to parents who had just been emancipated right after the Civil War. It was a movement bringing back to the church the priority of relying on knowing, following, and operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it led to what we call today the Pentecostal, Charismatic, and now the Empowered Evangelical Movements. There's a couple other labels church historians like to use as well. With literally hundreds of millions of people across the globe becoming followers of Jesus. Power to heal, power to change hearts and minds, the power to change systems and nations all comes from the power of the Holy Spirit picking ordinary people and doing extraordinary things through us. The power to do things bigger than we are, even things that seem impossible, all come from us knowing and following and learning to cooperate with the power of God himself, the Holy Spirit. Luke 10, we see Jesus send 72 of his disciples out 
telling them that through the Holy Spirit they are to heal people, they are to cast out demons, and they are to preach the kingdom and see people start to believe in Jesus and the kingdom he's bringing. And they come back full of stories and power of the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what the eyewitness account writer says. He says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. You see, God chooses the humble, those who know they are utterly weak and in need of God's power to demonstrate his power through. That means you and I. If you struggle with that statement, listen to last week's message. See, one would think that everyone in the world would want the power of the Holy Spirit, but the reality is everyone doesn't because following the Holy Spirit is messy. The Holy Spirit challenges our self-perception of our own competency, our own power, and our own self-reliance. God wants us to rest and to lean into His Spirit in all things. And He delights to bring us the joy of knowing the power of His Holy Spirit. Fourth, the Holy Spirit, like the wind, is refreshing. So one of the more difficult parts of the days that I spent baling hay growing up on the farm was uh, when we brought several loads in to load them all into the barn. Getting into the hay mow on a 90 degree, 90% humidity day like it was oftentimes in July in Minnesota was unbearable at times because the hay mow was usually 10 to 20 degrees warmer as the sun baked the roof and the walls of the barn. And I can remember even on those hot days how refreshing it felt to step out of the barn into the breeze. Some of you, the heat and humidity of life has left you just, just tired, just working to get through, having a hard time looking forward or dreaming. It's left you having a difficult time believing and seeing solutions for problems you're facing in your relationships, in your finances, in your work, in your life. And your interaction and your communion with the Holy Spirit through times of prayer, through times of worship, through times of other people praying for you, through turning your heart and your mind towards seeking where the Spirit of God is at work all throughout your day is going to be that breeze that will refresh your hope and refresh your ability to dream, to face not only today, but to face tomorrow. Paul, in talking about this hollowness of our own abilities and our own efforts, says this about the hope and refreshing in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. You can't truly know the love, the goodness, the power, the dream of God without intimately, personally knowing the Holy Spirit. A while back, Sharon and a bunch of other people were going through a prayer training called the Global Global Summer Initiative. They were given the assignment to pray, and the assignment said, we want you to ask God to show you someone, before you ever leave this room, show you someone that you're going to go out and find and you're going to minister to. Kind of a big, big challenge, right? One of the women felt like God had given her a vision of a young brunette woman at a J.C. Penney, and 
further felt like God said her mother has just died, and she also felt like God had given a very specific encouraging message for her. So she wrote that message down on a piece of paper. She tucked it in her pocket, and they walked out as a group, and they went to J.C. Penney. And they walked around, and all of a sudden the woman saw the girl that she'd seen in her mind and the picture that God had given her. She got the courage up to go talk with her, and the girl was at the mall with her grandmother. She had indeed recently just lost her mother in the last couple of months, and they talked with her more and found out she'd actually lost her dad the year before to death. The woman pulled the piece of paper out of her pocket, gave it to the girl. She read it, and in tears, just the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God just touched her. To imagine that someone, a complete stranger, God would speak to and do something so audacious and out of the ordinary for me. Can you imagine the power of that moment? So, how do we know the Holy Spirit better? How do we apply and pursue what we've talked about today? Well, there are two opportunities to expose yourself to training in an environment where you can do this kind of seeking. One is the School of Kingdom Ministry starting soon. You can join that for this year and be a part of that class on Wednesday evenings. There's also a conference that the Vineyard Columbus Church is hosting for all the Vineyard Area churches uh, on the Holy Spirit coming up in a, in a week or two here. In addition to those opportunities, I want to encourage you to just let go of your fears your past suspicious experiences and your misperceptions that aren't based in the Bible. All of us have our list of our barriers, of our fears, of our misperceptions, of our past suspicions based on your personal experiences or what other people have told you. Instead, I want you to trust God to lead you into truth and just stay humble Don't fall into making a lot of formulas for how God's going to work and show up. Just learn to pay attention to the Holy Spirit. You can know how the unseen God, the unseen Spirit communicates, touches you, works through you to touch others, and works in power to do miraculous things as surely as you can know the wind. You may also respond to this message by just simply making regular room to encounter and focus on learning to know the Holy Spirit. For some of you, what that might mean is, is just instead of just being semi-committed to regular worship and church and small group, to be actually become really committed to being a regular on a regular basis. It might mean asking for and having other people pray for you more often. It it might mean instead of praying and reading the Bible or meditating on Scripture a few times a week or every now and then, carving out regular habits of time throughout your day and week to pause and focus on God. And honestly, the easiest way to make room for the Holy Spirit is to to make a, a hallmark prayer of the Vineyard Movement be your simple prayer. And it's just two words. It's come Holy Spirit, three words, sorry. Come, Holy Spirit. And pray it all throughout the day. Under your breath, out loud. Uh, That can become a formula too, I understand that. But use that phrase to turn your attention to listening and seeing and observing what the Spirit might be doing around you in that moment, in your sales meeting, in your boardroom, in your time with your friend, in your time with your children, asking God's Spirit to come and show you what is doing and then... Respond in the third way as well by knowing the Holy Spirit requires us to risk and consistently respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. 
Partner with the Holy Spirit. When you actively sense something, just take a risk and, and step out and, and do it and try it. I mean, so maybe there's a question you need to answer. What's the last thing you feel like the Holy Spirit prompted you to do in your life that you have not yet done? See, we learn to know, follow, and operate in the power of the Holy Spirit through responsiveness, through obedience to the Holy Spirit. Experience builds on experience. So our question today, how do you want to make room? How do you want to make room for the Holy Spirit to become more real, more known by you and through you to other people? So Holy Spirit, we just pray. We do just make that simple prayer. We say, come, come Holy Spirit. Lord, we just lay before you all the the baggage we have around that, all the things we've been told, the things we've seen that are weird, strange, don't understand them, even harmful at times that we've seen. Lord, help us to lay all that baggage down and just say, come Holy Spirit, that we would open our hearts and we would trust you, our good Heavenly Father, enough to lead us into what you promised to lead us into, a knowledge of the Holy Spirit, a knowledge, a confident knowledge of how you speak to us, a confident knowledge of how you speak through us, a confident knowledge of how your power, your kingdom, wants to break into our reality and do things that are supernatural. So, our Holy Spirit, we just say, come, meet each and every one of us right where we're at. Would you just continue to worship and still retain that focus on the Holy Spirit? Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.